In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos Podcast. Welcome to a special edition of the pregame walkthrough brought to you by Funny Bone Broth. My name is Ben Grant, joined as always by JB. It's a special edition this week because Argoland needed it, I guess. We've had so many, so many messages over the last couple of days. There's been so much news, people stressing out, and we thought, you know, we better change the schedule around this week. So the scouting report will come out on Thursday. We're going to run the pregame walkthrough today, spend about half of it addressing some of the news that has happened over the last couple of days, and then we will get into our Saskatchewan preview, do our OCDC segment talk about our game predictions and cover everything else. Uh, hopefully put your mind at ease a little bit, maybe, we'll see. So that's all coming up on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. First news, and this isn't necessarily in order, but it's the one that people are talking about the most. Coach Jones in, Coach Bell, Coach Young are out. This story, JB, broke in a strange sort of series of events. The first I heard of it was Sunday night. I got a couple of messages saying something's up. Uh, there's going to be a coaching change. But that was all I heard of it. And when I kind of looked for more, I was just told, you'll see. And then Monday morning, I believe it was Justin Dunk from Three Down Nation who reported that Chris Jones had resigned his high school coaching job in Pennsylvania and was coming up north to coach with the Toronto Argonauts. And so that on its own, you know, that it, it didn't make sense that that, you know, with the news that I'd received on Sunday night, there were alarm bells all over the place. And I was just thinking, something's not right here. Like they're not bringing in another advisor. It was I already thought it was strange enough when it happened at the time that Coach Stubler was coming in. But to bring in in Coach Jones as well, it was just it seemed like something else was going to happen. Another move was coming. But it didn't make a lot of sense to me immediately because the defense and Coach Jones is is a, a defensive coach had been playing so well. Now, he's also a very successful head coach. He was the coach of the year the last time he was in the CFL in, in 2018. And the head coach didn't seem to be an issue as well. Coach Dimwitty has been doing a, a fantastic job. And then rumors started to circulate, uh, news started coming out. Uh, there was the speculation that Coach Bell, the defensive backs coach, and Coach Young, the defensive coordinator of the Argonauts, were going to be going on leave. And since that time, the Argos have confirmed that both coaches are, are going on what they're calling at this moment, personal leave. But there's a lot of speculation tied to that. Uh, people are speculating that this is not a coincidence, that it coincides with MLSE instituting their mandatory vaccination policy for anyone who's uh, not in a union that uh, prevents that from, uh, from being an exclusion. So uh, that's kind of what's going on right now. So we know that Coach Bell, Coach Young, you know, whatever the, the reason may be, uh, they're both out uh, for the foreseeable future. And when Coach Dinwiddie was asked about this, he didn't really want to talk about this very much, but he did say that uh, there wasn't a timeline in place. He referred to these as personal issues and personal decisions. But I think we can assume that likely for the rest of the season, 
uh, we're going to be without Coach Bell and Coach Young, which is it's disappointing because of how well they were doing. Coach Young's defense has been spectacular, and Coach Bell is probably probably the best positional coach on the team, at least in terms of getting the most out of his players. So this is a lot to take in. JB, break some of this down for us. Where where do we begin this conversation? <laughs> um, well, I mean, it's, it's obviously uh, a shame um, to, to lose Coach Bell. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's quite a shakeup, honestly, for, for a defense that's been playing really well. And I don't think it's going to be, uh, you know, without impact that suddenly, you know, we don't have the defensive coordinator and we don't have the defensive back coach. Um, so I, you know, I think that's, that's a problem heading into Saskatchewan. Um, I think bringing in coach Jones is smart. I certainly thought that they might bring in Coach Jones back in the summer. So it, it didn't shock me that they brought him. I thought that he was the best available CFL coach. So I'm sure they had their eye on him. I think that obviously getting to bring him in is, is you know, he's, he's had some ups and downs, but certainly he has a, a lot of history of being a successful defensive coordinator, um, you know, We'll see how he gels once he kind of gets into the position. Um, you know, whether the coaches come back or not, I don't know. I mean, it is kind of a weird world we're in. Um, I, I can't see any other reason for two coaches to be put on leave. They weren't fired, but to be put on leave other than they simply refuse to be vaccinated. And, you know, I mean, that's just really unfortunate. Um, I don't I don't know another word to to use. I just think it's really too bad that their belief in being unvaccinated um, is stronger than their desire to be part of the organization. Yeah, and I, I think that's well said. I, I feel the same way and it is disappointing. And there there are two coaches, like I said, that I that I really like. And and they're doing well. And it just seems it, it makes no sense to me. And, you know, I, I guess it wouldn't. But, uh, yeah, this is this is highly disappointing. And, you know, I, I wish there were another outcome. And, and maybe, you know, if this is tied to vaccinations, maybe this delay is so that these coaches can get this taken care of. And, and I would hope that's the case if this is indeed about vaccinations. But uh, I'm kind of bracing for for worst case scenario, in which case uh, I, I think that that's going to be it uh, for both of these coaches for for this year. Now, that brings into question a few other things. So first of all, the Argos haven't commented officially on Coach Jones other than acknowledging that he's a very good coach. But Justin Dunk's sources are very good. He, he, he doesn't miss a lot. And on something like this, um, I, I don't think there's any doubt. It just makes too much sense. Plus, you've got the backing of, of Justin Dunk. So I, I feel good about the story. Now, is he coming in to be a defensive coordinator? Is he coming in to help out with Rich Stubler because Stubler's been here the whole time? It's extremely difficult mid-season to bring in someone to be a defensive coordinator. Now, you can bring in someone to help you with that. But it's not like you're coming in to install new things. You, you can't. Mid-season doesn't work like that. So even when outside hires are made mid-season, which is rare. But when it does happen, generally, 
the language stays the same, the system stays the same, and that coach, even though it's not their own stuff, keeps it as is because there's just not enough time to learn something new. So this isn't Coach's Jones, Coach Jones's stuff, and it's not going to be Coach Jones's stuff. This is going to be Coach Young's system until the end of the year. And that's what makes me think that Stubler is going to be key in in this going forward. Now, we know uh, Coach Stubler is going to call plays this week in Saskatchewan. And he's going to be, they haven't named him interim defensive coordinator or defensive coordinator, but he is going to be calling the plays. He will essentially be assuming the role of defensive coordinator. Now, once, once Coach Jones gets here, you know, is he... Is he leaving what he referred to as his dream job, coaching at his high school in in Pennsylvania, to be an advisor, to be a a positional coach? I I, I don't know. I I don't think so. And so the way I'm seeing this is that there is a plan to, I guess, ease him into the role of at least interim defensive coordinator. Because I'm not sure I'm not sure Coach Stubler wants that title for the rest of the year. I think he's, you know, just watching him at practice and seeing him around, he's he's still involved, but I'm not sure he wants to I, I feel like he he might be done with being defensive coordinator. I think he might be done with being head coach and and everything like that. And the responsibilities and the activity that comes with it. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see if this if this leave continues for for Coach Young and Coach Bell. I think what we would see is Coach Stubler kind of become a, a, I guess, an advisor once Coach Jones uh, has the reins and once he feels comfortable enough in this system. Uh, th- that that makes sense, doesn't it? I, I mean, if they're bringing in Coach Jones, I have to believe that this is a change for the rest of the season. This is not, well, I'm sure in two weeks it'll be fine. This is, obviously, conversations have been had. And this is not going to be resolved because you're not bringing in Coach Jones and having him quit his high school job to come up and be an advisor or to be another guy in the booth. He's clearly coming up, in my opinion, to be defensive coordinator for the remainder of the season. Um, you know, with Coach Bell, I mean, maybe that's up in the air. But I think Coach Jones for sure is here to be defensive coordinator. And, uh, you know, that's difficult um, you know, he, he obviously is a great football mind, um, you know, not necessarily the easiest guy in the world to get along with, but, uh, you know, and the defense is playing well. So it's not like you fired your coach and now you bring a new guy in, you get that energy of new plans and more success. They've had success. So uh, it's not going to be an easy transition. I think that hopefully... They will keep things largely the same. I think that's the smart play. If I'm Coach Jones, is basically keeping the the terminology and keeping the the majority of the defense the same. Because I think you come in and rock the boat, you're going to get, you know, you, you need to get player buy-in and you don't want to kind of tip the boat on what's been a pretty good season. So, you know, it's fascinating from a football point of view. Uh, disappointing as a fan, but... You know, full credit to the Argos for going out and getting um, a top-tier replacement. And I, I think that speaks to the Argos looking around the league and, and, and really feeling, why not us this year? There, there, there is no powerhouse in the league. So if, if ever there were a year, you know, why not? Why not the Argos this year? I think they, if they get healthy, they have, uh, you know, 
a more than decent chance of having a great run in the playoffs. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think they I, I think they saw that from the beginning. I honestly think that they believe this team could go the distance, but I don't, I don't think there's any doubt now. You look around, you say, well, who else is there? Hamilton, Winnipeg, right. Saskatchewan. Are these the teams we're we're competing right. with? Well, there's I, I no mean, I think question. I think you're looking at at Winnipeg and Calgary. To, to be honest, as, Calgary as as pro- yeah, you know, as, as probably the the two toughest teams. I, w- I wouldn't put Calgary in that conversation, I but I don't know why you hate Calgary so much. I'm telling you, well, they're going to be they right. don't w- they don't win any games. All right, well, we won't get into our power rankings, but. All right. If you have Calgary in the top five, I'm going to turn top off your mic. Five? Do you even watch the CFL? They're, are you kidding me? They Calgary can't they can't hang around with anybody right now. No, that's not true. They can hang around. They can't win games. Like I, I, I don't know what's happening there. I have faith in them as an organization. We're getting way off topic here, but the I, I can't even. I don't even know how to entertain this Calgary. I Calgary will not make the playoffs if what? they just this beat continues. the stuffing out of Edmonton. It's Edmonton. Edmonton can't even... They don't even know which way is up right now. Come on. It's like beating Ottawa. It's the same thing. Ottawa beat Edmonton. So I, I don't I don't know. I, I can't even entertain that discussion right now. So we'll leave that for another time. All right. The, the vaunted Calgary Stampeders. So, yeah, no, I think clearly they, they see this is, is there for the taking. But you couldn't have found a better CFL coach not currently employed in the CFL than, than Coach Jones. There isn't one. Like, there's if there was one guy that you could bring in who would be the best possible answer for either head coach or defensive coordinator, it's it's Chris Jones. So, um, yeah, the Argos continue to do that. And that's what they've done since Pinball and Murphy took over is, well, who's the best guy we can get? Well, let's get that guy then. And, and they've and done I it think, again. I think Coach Jones will be absolutely, you know, we like we talked about some players coming up from the States. And like, are they going to buy in? Or are they not going to buy in? And we've had a few buy in, and they're having fantastic seasons. And I, I, I think Coach Jones wants to coach in the CFL again. Um, is good at coaching in the CFL, and if he puts in a good performance here, that more than likely springboards him to a CFL job, uh, maybe in Edmonton. Um, so, you know, I think I think Coach Jones will will be. Um, will not come in and start throwing weight around. I think he's I think that he's quite keen to, you know, audition for a return to the CFL. There is nervousness um, from a couple of players that I have spoken to over the last 24 hours now. There is a little bit of uncertainty as to what's going to happen here because like you said before, you know, he's a he's a coach that sort of has his guys and he has his way. And while I believe and you believe he's not going to come in and you know turn everything upside down, it's easy for us to say on the outside. I think in that position, I think it goes. I think it goes without saying in in any industry, in any job, you've got a new boss coming in. You yeah, are but understandably going to be nervous. He was he was out of the circle of of trust though, you know, like when the round of hirings went around, Chris Jones didn't have a seat. Um, I know he was in the NFL there for a little bit, but, uh, you know, he's a smart guy. He knows the business of it. Uh, I, I'd i be shocked if he was uh, a disruptive force because I think he sees this very much as an audition. And, you know, he knows what his, his reputation is in the league. And I'm sure other teams are looking to see, 
whether he's going to come in and be a bulldozer or not. So I, I think that's I think it's in the Argos' favor. I, I don't think he's going to come in and give the full Coach Jones experience. I still can't believe you think Calgary is the team to worry about <laughs> with Winnipeg. We'll see. We'll see. All right, let's we've we've got to move on to avoid this being a, a five hour podcast. So that I think that pretty much sums up our, our thoughts on, on Coach Jones. I think overall the situation is disappointing. However, if you're gonna be in this situation, there isn't a better guy to bring in. Between like between Coach Jones and Coach Stubler, there's there's nothing that those two guys combined don't know. And so obviously and, and Pinball knows this and he's you know he's He's not going to make a mess of this situation, um, and I, I gather, like from everything I've heard, it was it was a highly emotional uh, talk uh, with with the players at practice and when they gathered together. Uh, pinball delivering um, a, a bit of a speech, and uh, apparently uh, Murphy as well. And uh, yeah, it was it was a, a highly emotional thing. But th- they're very invested in this and. They all want to win this year very much, and they know they can. And And Chris Jones is the right guy to have in here to do that if you're not going to be, if you're not going to be able to put uh, Coach Bell and, and Coach Young out there. All right, let's get on to our transactions. So to go along with all that big news, there was a lot of big transaction news this week. And I, I guess I guess the, the biggest story, I, I, I think... Uh, from the transactions is the news uh, broken uh, by John Hodge from Three Down Nation that Kendall Wright is on his way to Toronto and uh, John Hodge saying that he's going to arrive this week and then he'll be reporting and quarantining and then uh, joining the team in some capacity. Uh, That's really exciting news given that there have been so many injuries at the receiver position. Now, most of the guys are expected back this week, but you know, we're still, we still don't have any timeline on the return of Joan Breskison. And it's a group that hasn't really shown too much in the way of explosive plays. Kendall Wright, I can't wait to see him in camp. How long do you think it takes a player like Kendall Wright to become acclimated though? Like how soon uh, you know, assuming, and we don't even know what he looks like. You know, maybe maybe he arrives here and 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 he never even makes the roster. Well, we've we've seen that before, where we where guys have come in and we thought, wow, this guy's going to be something, and then they just never make it off the practice squad. Assuming Kendall Wright looks good and is kind of you know returning to to form, how long do you think it will take him to get uh, onto the active roster? Yeah, I mean, you know, he, he hopefully he's had the playbook this whole time right like they're not signing him cold true so so if he had the playbook and he's been learning the plays um you know i i would think that he could come in and uh you know and give him a look i think one thing about the argos um attack is it it definitely is sort of multifaceted right like they're not there isn't one guy who's getting fed the ball so you know you roll him in there for two catches for 60 yards, you know, I think that's great. Like, I, I do, I, I don't think this is a, a game changer. I mean, he hasn't played professional football since 2018. Um, you know, so I, I would say my expectations are are uh, muted. Um, but he can be another body in a season where, you know, guys are, 
are, are getting crunched because that's the way our offense is built. Um, you know, uh, then let's put another guy in the mix. He's certainly got the pedigree, and if he can return to form, he was a very talented player. Remember, we're talking uh, about a top draft pick in the NFL uh, who looked the part at times. Now, when I spoke to Luke Braun from uh, Lockdown Vikings, he was... Uh, he wasn't a, a huge fan of what he saw from from Wright in Vikings training camp the last time he sort of made an effort at at football. He said he just did not look the same and that his, his head didn't seem to be in it. But he didn't say that the physical qualities weren't there. It was more mental and there were a ton of drops and he just, you know, just didn't seem like he belonged out there. But it was more for the mental side of it. And maybe maybe being out of football, maybe the start of the season this past week was enough for him to say, you know what, I got to get... I gotta get my act together here and get I, back in. I wonder if there's a DJ Foster overlap in Arizona. It's um, so interesting because football's got so many ties like that. You you never know. Like it's, it's such a small uh, world. Be, the football world is so small. Like, I'd, I'd have to double check the dates. Like his last NFL deal was uh, with the Cardinals, um, and he he was only there for a little bit. But you know, maybe you got a shout out from DJ Foster. Like, hey man, come on up here. We're you know, we're playing good ball and you'd be into it. You know, I think that's best case scenario. Um, so maybe there's, that's at work. There's so many ties there. Uh, like, I, I guess he... Uh, yeah, I, I guess that's possible. The, the dates do overlap. So they would have been there at the same time. But so many of these guys, right? Like almost almost all of the American players on the Argonauts have been in the NFL at some point. And, they're, and a lot of them played for, for big programs or at least mid-sized programs. And so, they, you know, they, they all, so many of them know each other and have crossed paths at different points. It's hard to say. But, yeah, that is a, you know, that's one where, you know, maybe maybe that's something where. I think where so. That's my bet. They, that's your bet. All right. I'm going to see. I gotta, that's going to be my first question. If he, if he ever ends up in a, in a press conference, that's going to be my first yeah, question. Yeah, just hit him up. Be like, come on, man. We're playing good ball. Come up. Be a part of it. You know, and. um. You know, look, he's he's not a young guy, um, but he, he doesn't he doesn't need to be. He, if he can come up and be the third or fourth receiver, you know, then that's great. That's that's another good body. I think I think it's uh, you know I think it's a good signing. Let's talk about the two other additions we got. So Cole McDonald, Cole McDonald is a quarterback uh, out of Hawaii. Was a draft pick of the Tennessee Titans. Farm owner. Uh, he's, He's a, yeah, exactly. Uh, he's a big guy, 6'4", with great wheels. He runs a 4'5". Uh, he's got a good arm. Had all sorts of, well, like all the, you know, all the Rainbow Warriors quarterbacks who can throw the ball all over the place. You know if you're taking any quarterback out of Hawaii what you're getting um, before you even look at the measurables. Um, also, he's interesting. Now, if you're, he's if you're not, a Hawaii fan, you know you're a degenerate gambler. <laughs> That's uh, guilty as Hawaii is always, if you're chasing it, you're betting on Hawaii. Well, their games start at midnight. Uh, <laughs> I have watched a lot of Hawaii games, but I think that's more for being like a degenerate football fan than degenerate gambler. But mm. I've definitely been up at, you know, two in the morning watching like Hawaii play the the Vandals or something like that. Those old whack games were the, my favorite to watch uh, when that conference was was firing. Every game was like 68 to 64 in double overtime that was amazing football but uh, i know i haven't i haven't watched them much as of late and i started into some cole mcdonald film today but like full disclosure i only got through two games so i don't have a, a great sense of what he's about yet 
Um, his measurables are great. The two games I looked at, one against good competition, one against mediocre competition, he looked uh, night and day though. Against good competition, he struggled. And I, you know, but his whole team did. And so it's really tough to gauge. You know, he had receivers who weren't open. He had very little protection from his line. And so it's, it's you know, it's tough to tell how much of that is, you know, say some of the parts or how much of that is, is on him. But, uh, but he looked fantastic against, against mediocre competition. But then I think like, you know, like you always say, like, take a flyer on a guy like that, bring him in, see what he's got. And, you know, maybe, maybe you, uh, you win the lottery for next year. You know, that's... Yeah, I'm, I'm all for churning the bottom three, four spots every week. I mean, I, I feel bad for, like I said, I feel bad for the guys at the bottom. But, you know, from a franchise point of view, you know, bring three guys in every week and see if something hits. I, I, think, I think that's the smart play. Because you never know. You never know when you're going to find a guy who, who can just flat out ball and hadn't been given the chance. Another signing this week, uh, Patrick Lavoie, um, from, well, originally from uh, Rouge Or. Uh, he won a couple of Vanier Cups, uh, went on to win a Grey Cup. He's been all over the league. Uh, he's a fullback and a really good fullback. You know, a guy that caught a touchdown pass in a Grey Cup game. This is, <laughs> this is a player that, that you can count on. Um, this isn't just a name coming in. I, I thought that was an interesting addition. Does he have any personal protector experience? Well, that's a thing too, right? Like you look at some of the issues because that was where my mind immediately went was it's not like the Argos are like the Tiger Cats where they've got a fullback on the field 40% of the time. The Argos don't play a lot like that. You so rarely see Declan Cross out there. When you do, he's, you know, he's, he's very good at his role. Now, the one area where there have been issues is the Argos have had a lot of punts blocked and punts almost blocked. And Patrick Lavoie has a ton of special teams experience. Do not be shocked if he is playing up back on the punt team at a football field near you in the very near future. Uh, but that's, that is a place that I could see him almost immediately crack the roster because man they've had some trouble with uh with that pump block and it's and it, it seems to have almost exclusively been upbacks that have missed it's a different one each time but everybody is having trouble and you know we don't know what the scheme is we don't know what the call is and what the design is it looked like Declan Cross was was taking the wrong guy in this most recent punt block uh but you know we can't say that for sure but, uh, you know, here you have a, an experienced veteran fullback who can come in and hopefully prevent anyone from getting to Boris Beattie before he kicks that football. Because I don't think I can take another pump block this season. Well, the, I think the issue is, you know, much like, um, you know, a, a, a wounded seal drawing sharks. Um, you know, got, special teams coaches are just drooling at that film and are sitting up in the lab all night designing exotic pump blocks that you would never have to face if they thought your pump block was, you know, secure. So you, you end up inviting, you know, it becomes sort of this self-fulfilling because you end up inviting the coaches to design and run stuff that, that, you know, they get approval to run because they think they can get a block where the head coach might not give them approval. So it, in, in that sense, it almost becomes harder for cross because now he's facing stuff that, normally he would never have to deal with because other teams have sensed a weakness 
It's true. They're doing some pretty cool stuff. And I've noticed that teams are sending that block call way more than they usually yeah. do. And, but and head coach with... is like, you know, because they're like, coach? Yeah. And they can't, you know, they can't believe the head coach gives them the approval. I know. It's it's such a rarity, too. It's almost always, you know, return, return, return. And yeah, then the occasional, but, let's go for a block. But if you show a flaw on tape, they're going to come. And I think that's the problem right now. And I think that's, you know, not Cross's fault per se. But unfortunately, it's been identified as a weakness and teams are coming. Well, even if it was Cross's fault this week, it hasn't been him. Like, this is the first time it's been him. That's the thing. It's been this this revolving door of, of blame uh, for for each of the different pump blocks. So, I don't know. I, I do think that's the motivation for bringing him in because I, I quite like the fullbacks that we've got on the roster. I like Asnel Robo. I, I like, I like Declan cross and, you know, it, it's something too where, Oh, and, um, and our, 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 our boy out of Waterloo as well. Like this is not, we're not short of, uh, fullbacks on this roster that I like, but I think that when it comes to special teams play, this is something that, you know, does need maybe a bit of an upgrade. So that's where I expect to see him first if we if we do see him. Yeah, well, but, I mean, what you need is a clean game. You have a clean game, no near blocks, and head coaches will stop saying yes to special teams. And along with these pickups, of course, there are two players who are on their way out, which is sad because these two players were guys that I was kind of invested in. I know one, we were both really invested in Trey Williams running back and pump return, kick return specialist is out. I, I, man, we wanted him in the game so badly just to see. We just wanted to see a punt return. I feel feel personally responsible for Trey Williams' release. You were demanding it pretty strongly, and so it's possible that they were just tired of it, and they're like, how can we get this guy to stop talking about Trey Williams? <laughs> I'm sorry, Cut Trey. Him. Uh, but he, he looks so good in practice. He He's a great punt returner. Man, I wanted him out there. But I guess, you know, they, they gave Chandler Worthy a go, and he looked good, and, you know, he's got that explosion, and they thought, well, we don't need more guys that can do that, but... I really wanted to see him out there. I still think he's he's got the potential to be a really good punt returner in this league. And then the other uh, casualty of the transaction wire this week was Terry Poole. Now, this has a couple of levels to it. Number one, Terry Poole is a tackle that I really like. Now, I, I, I'm not saying the decision to cut him is wrong because he never seemed to quite get it. He seemed to be struggling. Just watching him practice, he seemed to never quite be able to adapt to that extra yard. Everything that he was always working on was with regards to angles and a wide rush suddenly going inside. And he never seemed to be able to acclimate himself to that because he was a very good tackle in American football. But some guys just can't make that transition, and he seems to have been one of them. Now, the other level to this, which is really upsetting, is this is the guy that the Argos traded Alden Darby for. And so the result of that trade, which will go down, unfortunately, for the Argos as you know, a, a terrible move uh, when you look at the end result, is Alden Darby for a guy that is no longer on your roster. And Alden Darby more than just an excellent football player. He was the leader of the defense. He was a fan favorite and someone that was great in the community and an ambassador for the city of Toronto. And so to lose a player like that for nothing is really hard to stomach for a lot of fans. Yeah, they uh, they did not win that trade. 
Um, no, <laughs> win. You know, <laughs> I thought uh, Poole looked. I mean, uh, you know, Poole looked fine, right? Like it's not like you looked at Poole and thought, "Wow." Um, so I wasn't crazy about the trade at the time. Um, you know, I, I guess he just he just was just could not get it done. You know, he just did not. Could you know he just couldn't couldn't. Uh, couldn't earn a spot on a line that needed help, right? Like, it's not like he got blocked out. Like, there was certainly lots of opportunity to to play ball. Um, so that's a loss, and, and probably there's a story in there somewhere. All right, JB, it's time to get to our Saskatchewan game coming up this week. So the team travels to Regina for a game that I think For me, I'm really excited about because everybody keeps ranking the Saskatchewan Rough Riders ahead of the Toronto Argonauts, and I have no explanation as to why. Admittedly, Saskatchewan looked great for their first 30 minutes of the season. There's no question about that. They were hammering BC when they didn't have a quarterback. Since that point, they've struggled. The second half against BC was a disaster. They, you know, they, they did beat Hamilton, but it was, it was a Hamilton team that was all over the place. And, and they've, they've since been hammered in back-to-back weeks by the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I, I can't begin to explain why people still have Saskatchewan ranked number two in the league. And there are a number of people, it's not, you know, it's not just like one, one source that's saying, you know, Saskatchewan's the second best team. I, I There's no just- doubt in my mind. They're just being bullied. They, you know, the the Saskatchewan has, you know, rabid fans, and there would be, a, you know, if you rank Saskatchewan, you know, six, there'd be an influx of emails and tweets, and I'm sure these guys are like, who needs that static? Let's just rank them two <laughs> or three, and and you know, and call it a day. The, you can't tell me that's not the conversation being had. I I guarantee you it is. They're like, it's plausible they could be three, and then who needs? Who needs, you know, a million tweets telling me, you know, what I should do with uh, my uh, my family? JB, it's time for OCDC. <laughs> All right, my favorite segment of the week. JB, I will start it off this week as offensive coordinator, first for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and then for the Toronto Argonauts. This is my plan coming into the game this week. So we'll start with Saskatchewan. As the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, my plan this week is going to be mid-level passing. I don't know if I even try to run against the Argonauts, much like we saw with Hamilton last week. Hamilton saw early on, like, this is not a team you can run on. There's there's a reason that Toronto has the number one rushing defense in the CFL. They're very good at defending the run. Hamilton's only runs were basically jet sweeps, getting receivers in motion out wide. Um, They basically substituted that for regular running plays. And then when they finally did start running, it was really not called runs. It was quarterback scrambling. Dane Evans looking for room and and taking off. Because remember, through three quarters of last week, they had two rushing attempts for seven yards. And, And I think that's the right plan. I don't think you should try to run against Toronto. I think it's a waste of time. Because they've proven that they're very good at stopping the run. And unless you want to end up in second and eight every series, then then don't run the football. And so my plan for Saskatchewan would be just that. You know, the, the occasional run when you think the situation calls for it, maybe you can check to it. 
Toronto likes to show that three three stack a lot. If you've got a three three stack and it's it's you know second and six, maybe you want to try that out on occasion. But it certainly wouldn't be part of my game plan. I think what you try and go to is that mid level passing game. I don't think you're going to find a lot of huge plays. Creston Butler's probably going to be back for the Argonauts this week playing center field. I, I, I'm not going for bombs. I, I'm trying to take advantage of the possession receivers that I've got. Guys like, you know, Keenan Schaefer-Baker, who, uh, you know, we both know very well and, and has uh, had an excellent few games since he's been active. Uh, he, and he's great at, the, at those mid-range outs. That's probably where I'm asking for Jardo to go. That's where I'm going to sort of build my game plan around. And as Toronto starts to adjust to that, now I'm going to look for those hits over the top. And now I'll maybe look to get the running game involved. But I think it starts with that you know, 10 to 20 yard pass, especially to the outside. I think there's room there uh, behind coverage. So that's going to be the, the core of my, my game plan as the Saskatchewan offensive coordinator. All right, JB, if you were coordinating Saskatchewan's defense, what's your plan against the Argos this week? Um... Well, I think that uh, I think that you're you're gonna look for DJ Foster coming out of the out of the backfield. You know, I think you have to disrupt his route. I think you have to, um, you know, you just have to get in his face all day. Um, I think you're fine with with White getting his yards. I would I would take away the 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 the, the wheel route and the, and the passing out of the backfield with Foster, and I'd sit on the underneath routes. You know, and dare. You know, dare Arbuckle to to consistently hit you twenty yards and deep. You know, I would just say like, look, we're just going to sit here. We're going to play on these routes, and um, you know, I would I would probably play, you know, like two man or something. To you know, just basically like, like we're we're going to be all over. We're going to be we're going to be plaster, fifteen yards and in, and you know, we think you're not going to be able to get the ball deep enough, fast enough for the cover two not to pick it up. Two man's interesting, and especially if you if you walk the safeties down a little bit. Like if, you, if, if you're running two man and your deepest guy starts at like 12 yards, I think that's a really interesting defense against, against the Argonauts. And, and I like the idea of having a, a guy on Foster specifically, which obviously you would in, in two man. My worry is that you're not going to get much much in the way of pass rush. And I think that it's going to give Arbuckle some time. Now, you're not giving him time to read because it is ultimately man. But giving him time back there to, to make the yeah, correct I decision is Yeah, I mean, that's the choice, right? I think, I think you can choose. But I don't, think, I don't think pass rush is the way to get at the Argos. I really don't. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, like, you've got to get at the quarterback or he's going to eat you alive. That, as a defensive coordinator, that would not be my thought. I like that plan. Like I, I'm playing devil's advocate here, uh, but I do like that plan. I think I think I think two man is is tough. Now I think you're gonna end. You could you could end up getting crushed by draw plays and and things like that. That uh, you know I, I think the Argos would probably transition to pretty quickly. But yeah, I, I do like that plan. All right, let's move over to the other side of the ball as offensive coordinator of the Toronto Argonauts. My plan this week is actually big plays and running game. So. Those two things combined. I, I believe Saskatchewan can be run on. Now, their defense actually defended the run fairly well against Winnipeg last week, but that's seeing the same schemes in back-to-back games, and so it is a little easier for those plays. 
The design of the run game for the Argonauts is very different from the run game for the Blue Bombers. And so with this being their one and only matchup this year, I, I expect the Argonauts to be able to run the ball very successfully. Because even when Saskatchewan was shutting down and that sort of quote-unquote shutting down the run last week with Winnipeg, Winnipeg was still averaging well over four yards a carry. So it's not like they were stuffing them. But it just wasn't, you know, the the hundreds of yards that were being put up the week before. So I do think the Argonauts can run against the Rough Riders. Now, I also think there's a big play potential. And we haven't yet played an opponent where I felt that going into the game. I think there's room for some really big chunk yardage here, especially off play action. And especially run after the catch on uh, slants and routes that you typically find matched with RPOs. And I think if the Argonauts are able to run early, that's going to draw on the backers and it's going to create this huge void. Because Saskatchewan, when you watch their defense, there generally is space there. There's this gap. There's And it's it looks unusually large when you compare it to, to other CFL teams between the linebacker level and the safety level. And I believe with successful play action, once you've established that running game, there's going to be a ton of space in there. And I I love the idea of some of the faster receivers on those uh, slants, on on those reads for Arbuckle, those RPOs, where he's trying to read the backers and the backers come in, they get sucked in on the run and Arbuckle pulls, hits a Chandler Worthy. uh, It could be, it really could be... I wouldn't be surprised to to see Gittins Jr. Uh, on some of those routes as well because he's got really good speed too. But one of those guys that can catch that ball about 10 yards downfield on on you know full out run and turn that into a huge touchdown play. So that is my offensive plan for the Argos this week. JB, where are you going for defense for the Argos? Saskatchewan, like Hamilton, is not a team that scares me offensively. Uh, Fajardo looks like he's going to play... You know, I have some questions about the, as I have had a couple of times this season, about the CFL concussion protocol. Um, I thought the fact that Saskatchewan talked about a minor concussion is language that's like 10 years old. You know, there you can't measure a concussion. You, you might say minor symptoms, but a concussion is a concussion. The fact that he's out on the field on Tuesday after a concussion on Saturday uh, you know, it's unacceptable to me. I think that there have been a number of times this season with a number of teams where I have felt like the CFL has absolutely dropped the ball on concussion protocol. And I think that the league needs to tighten it up, you know, just on a on a sort of side conversation for a moment. I think it's quite poor. To interrupt, because I, I just want to be clear so that our listeners know this is not you being a, a, you know pro-Argonaut and like we don't want to see Cody Fajardo in there. Like I, having known you as long as I have, you have uh, fought for player safety and have been, you know, in terms of coaches, uh, certainly at the, you know, leading edge of, of, you know, trying to introduce rules and measures and protocols, especially around concussions, but anything to do with player safety, but really concussions has been your focus. And so yeah, I know this is, I, I this is coming from I, a place that is neutral, not Argo specific. No, right. I, I just don't think if he, if he's concussed on Saturday, he should not be on the field on Tuesday. Um, you know, I mean, he may have had minor symptoms. That's fine. Um, but, you know, I think that you, you know, you just, I just feel like it's, you know, 
I'll just say I, I have not been impressed with the CFL concussion protocol this season uh, a variety of times and just kind of leave it at that. And so that being the case, what's your plan defensively? <laughs> Sorry, I got off on my, my <laughs> concussion problem. Uh, I, I'm not concerned. Honestly, I, I feel like we're a better team than Saskatchewan. I don't think I don't think we have to do anything exotic at all. I think you you keep everything in front of you. You play base. You know, I think I think you can just go out there and, you know, play cat. You know, I think we're better than they are. And, you know, even if Fajardo's in there, you know, I think you 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 bait them into some deep throws and, you, you know, you have your cover three. Uh, you know, we talked about some safety issues if, if Butler's back. Um, I, I, you know, I, if, I wish I had the, something more exciting to say, but I, I just don't think Saskatchewan's very good. I think... I think that Fajardo's fine. I don't think that their running back is necessarily a game breaker. Uh, uh, you know, I think if you just go out there and line up and and play solid fundamental defense, um, you're going to win the game. You know, I, I I don't think you have to worry about being eaten alive. I think I think we're a better team than Saskatchewan. They're a, a paper tiger, and I think we're going to go out there and show them that. And and that's basically what Toronto did this past week against Hamilton. Now, it wasn't a blow because the offense struggled, but defensively, they were great. And there wasn't anything exotic to it. Do you know, the entire game, I was... <laughs> I, like, wish, I wish, I always wish, it feels like such a cop-out when I say it, but I'm like, look, that's what it is. Like, you don't need to show off. The goal is to win. We're not like the offensive peacocks strutting around, you know? We're just well, trying to, we're just trying to win football games. And so, like, if... You can win a football game playing, you know, straight ahead D, then, you know, let's get that done. They sent one six-man blitz last week. Right. In, in, I believe it was 49 snaps, one six-man uh, blitz. And Saskatchewan does not scare me offensively any more than Hamilton did. Uh, I, I do worry a little bit about Morrow. I think that he's a weapon for them on special teams, and uh, I think he can break one. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking to to focus on him in terms of special teams. But I think, you know, m- much like the Hamilton game, as long as we don't give up pick sixes and special team touchdowns, you know, not to, not to give away my prediction, but I think, you know, I think we can we can go out there and, uh, and ball with these guys. Let's go into prediction time. So I'll go up first. I, I, I get nervous anytime I feel this way because it so often I end up eating my words, but like you've said, I, I really don't feel a threat at this moment. I know I do think Saskatchewan is one of the better teams in the league, but I think there's a gap between Winnipeg and Toronto, and, and maybe I'll put Hamilton in there too. I you know I have to, especially when they're healthy. I think Winnipeg, Toronto, Hamilton, and then I think there's a gap before anyone else, and. I don't really feel like this is going to be an overly close game. Now, the nature of the CFL is that a team kind of has a chance at the end. But I see this being a situation where with three minutes to go, Saskatchewan has the ball, but they're down 16 points. And that's kind of what I expect going into this. Now, it may end up a little bit closer than that at the end, but I really don't feel like this is going to be a ball game for most of it. That said, the score that I'm going to give you is going to seem a little closer than that, but still not that much. And I really don't expect this to be a a tight game from start to finish. So I'm going to say Toronto 30, Saskatchewan 22. That is my prediction. JB, where are you going with this one? (laughs) Um, Well, look, I I certainly wouldn't put any money on this because I think that there are 
there are way too many factors involved. I think the defensive coaches not being part of the team, that is, you know, as a football coach, you want tranquility. And so that's a problem. Whether that turns into something or not, we don't know, but that's a problem. Uh, I think that Saskatchewan's a wounded bear. They have a lot of pride. They're a very good team. They just got stomped on national TV. Um, they're going to be angry. They're going to be at home. Uh, I think that that's a problem in the first quarter. Uh, I think it's going to be crucial for the Argos to take their hope away from them because Saskatchewan certainly is a team, you know, they're not Ottawa. You know, they don't like being embarrassed by Winnipeg. Um, so they are going to be prepared to play. Uh, I think the third issue is consistency, and that's something that is tough. It's kind of the final step of a good team where I think Winnipeg is there, um, where you can consistently put together great performances every week. You're not sort of ebbing and flowing um, and kind of needing to be punched in the face to get angry again and get going again. So that's the question of the Argos. Are they at that level? where they can go out and they can put together consistent performances. So I think all of that makes this a volatile prediction. Having said that, I do think the Argos win 24-18. I think that the Argos are better, and the first quarter will be huge. I think Saskatchewan is looking to give it over. Uh, they got to take it away from Saskatchewan, then they cannot turn the ball over, um, especially in the first quarter, because Saskatchewan is like that first 10 minutes is going to be rough. So if we get through the first 10, um, not down 10, Argos win 24-18. That will just about do it for us on this week's episode of the X's and Argos pregame walkthrough. Don't forget to look out for our scouting report coming up later on this week. We've got Derek Taylor, who is going to be giving us his uh, view of the game from a Saskatchewan perspective. Also, I've got a film piece on the defensive line that I'm going to be working on tomorrow. That should be out soon. So make sure you catch those. You can find all our stuff at xsandargos.com. And don't forget, if you're a regular listener to our podcast, especially if you've got a few minutes, please take the time to subscribe, rate, write a review. It really helps us uh, spread the word. We Every week, we have more and more listeners that are uh, added, uh, which is great to see as we as we do get into the heart of the Argo season. But please, if you get a chance, help us out in that regard and make sure all of the Toronto Argonauts fans know where to find us. For JB, my name's Ben Grant saying so long, and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya. <laughs>